If you think reading is for nerds, then you are right. But you want to know what is not for nerds? Having someone read to you. That's when Audible comes in. Audible is full of audiobooks for you, and our listeners can step up and get a 30-day free trial. That's right, 30 days. Some even call that one month. Just go to audibletrial.com slash live from the 815 and receive your free 30-day trial to get today. Again, that is Audible Trial, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash live from the 815 and get your free 30-day trial today. All right. Episode 35. God damn it. Why do you always do that? <laughs> I, I didn't know you were starting right then. I clapped. Well, I clapped too. I was, I was, you know, clap, get ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated sports podcast in the history of professional sports podcasting. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble! Live from the 8-1-5. All right, everybody, episode 37, a.k.a. the Meta World Peace episode that everybody Everyone has. knows Meta World Peace for number 37. <laughs> it's a well-known sports fact. Or Derek Fisher for one season with the Oklahoma <laughs> City Thunder. Two, classically. Most people remember him as number two, kind of like Derek Jeter, but no, he, Derek Fisher, m- much more well-known for that number 37 season. Yeah, we uh, that was just off the top of our heads. We didn't do any research, but it's it's the usual. It's Colton St. Vincent. It's Jake LaRue. 37 episodes. We have back a gr- again. We are back in the saddle again. We have a great episode. Um, basketball Damn, filled. Damn packed with interviews. Two interviews. We've on a, two for the price of one. Two. For, we're not charging anybody for this, but if you want to pay us money, my Venmo is at Colton St. Vincent or Colton St. Vincent. Try them all. <laughs> Just send money to all of them. Um, but yeah, we have two interviews. We have, we're going to start it off with March Madness Talk with our good friend Gus Kearns from the Screen the Screener podcast. This guy knows more about college basketball than I do about, Any other about topic. my own history of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and then after that, we have Casey Johnson from the Chicago Tribune to come on and talk about the Chicago Bulls. That was, that was pretty cool. He's been covering the Bulls for like a million years. So Yeah, Casey Johnson, he's heard him on the score. He's a popular dude, and the Bulls are just such an exciting team now. It's just, <laughs> I got to hear about it. Yeah, so we have those two interviews coming up. Um, so we got plenty of things to talk about, but we're only going to talk about NFL free agency because as this is the best time of year. Can we just say that really quick? As you're listening to it right now, um, it is the first day of the NFL offseason, and free agency is going rampant. It's going yeah. wild. People started talking a few days ago, but man, it has been the wild, wild west. I mean, March Madness and NFL free agency right now, this is literally the most exciting time of year. Um, For Packers fans, we'll just go quick through this. It's been a real uh, up and down kind of day. Uh, Kind of a few days because of free agency. First thing we do is we trade our only, our best cornerback from last year, 
for Deshaun Kaiser. We traded Demarius Randall for Deshaun Kaiser and swapped fourth and fifth round picks. But that's good because so you guys have a have a lot of uh, really good corners, don't you? Yeah, we're, we're loaded at corner. Just kidding. We're we have one second year guy and a bunch of undrafted free agents. But yes, we are incredibly thin at corner. But now we we have filled out. There was only one quarterback in the league worse than Brett Hundley last year, and we got that guy on our roster. Hell yeah. Making big moves. I actually like the move, though. Kaiser has way more potential than Hundley. Um, so I'm a little excited about that. And then the Packers, remember, we did lose Ted Thompson, our long, a 10-year GM. So a new, a new phase has come over us. They then went out inside Jimmy Graham to a three-year deal. We're still, as we record this, not sure on the money. I'm a little worried to see how much money he's making uh, because of what some of the other free agents have made, other free agent tight ends to be specific. So I'm a little worried to see that. But at the for everything that, uh, for all that happiness comes pretty much the worst part of my day. Jordy Nelson has been cut from the Packers. It saves them $10 million, which is pretty much all going into Jimmy Graham's pocket. So, uh, you know, it's a real give-and-take situation. It's sad to see Jordy go. Top, one of the best Packers receivers of all time. He'll be in the Packers Hall of Fame. Should be in the Pro, Bowl, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but he just was robbed by injuries. and um, It's a sad day. So, that's, uh, that's my pack. Oh, and the Packers also just signed Mohamed Wilkerson. Agreed, uh, apparently agreed to a one-year, $5 million contract. So a prove-it deal on a guy who was thought to be incredibly lazy last year for the Jets. So he's got, <laughs> Hell yes. motiv- he's got motivation to because uh, he's on a one-year deal. So I'm excited. It's been the craziest Packers offseason in my entire lifetime. I mean, this is craziest since we signed Reggie White. Uh, I mean, just period. So it's been fun. How is it for you as a Bears fan? I know they made a couple moves, I think. So much excitement for their for us Bears fans. Um, being a Bears fan, I'm going to put a positive spin on everything that we do. Best case scenario, we just signed um, a future Hall of Fame wide receiver, a perfect complement tight end, the speedster that, that everybody needs, and now the Hall of Famer Mitch Trubisky has some some toys to play with. We added Allen Robinson, we added um, former Eagle tight end Trey Burton, and we added Taylor Gabriel all today, free agency. Trey Burton, some may call the most talented person to throw a, um, a touchdown pass in the Super Bowl last season. I've, I've heard that from multiple sources, they're all me, but um, he's going to add the, to the threat of non-quarterbacks throwing touchdown passes for the Bears next year, so... Watch out for that. We're gonna take take the season or take the uh, league by storm. But honestly, I'm just I'm pumped. These are all fun free agent signings. I can't tell you the last time I was this. I think it was since Jay Cutler and Brandon Marshall oh, came over. I was oh, so that was an, that was a crazy time. I was so pumped when that happened. I I was like, oh my god, dude, Super Bowl City, here we come. But obviously, Young, the, smoking Jay Cuddy. But obviously, no, yeah, that didn't was... it didn't pay off. But now um, these moves all have a lot of risk. Gabriel had some foot injuries last year. Trey Burton was just a uh, secondary option at tight end, and Allen Robinson is coming off a torn ACL. So your whole, uh, your whole receiving core currently is injured. It's you great. Know, Meredith coming off an ACL. Robinson, Allen Robinson now coming off an ACL. Um, Kevin White has glass skin and paper bones. 
Yes, but once Kevin White starts playing, we're going to have two first-rounders this year. People forget that. <laughs> yeah, and no one ever remembers Kevin White. I, I heard a uh, – I was listening to the score today, and a scout said they saw Kevin White running, and he runs like a fullback now. Perfect. That's what you want in a, <laughs> in a wide receiver. A guy who ran a four four forty at the combine. That's awesome. That's what you want to hear, running like a fullback now. Perfect. So, well, you know, I'm – for me, um, I'm looking at, at all these things like Allen Robinson tore his ACL in the third play of the season last year. So he yeah. has he basically has a full 12 months to recover and get ready for week one. Um, people say he should be, he should be ready for, for preseason action to get back into game speed. And he's just a legit number one. Two, three seasons ago, he was a top 10 receiver in the NFL. So it, it's cool that we got him. He's still like 25 years old. He's still super yeah, young. You got him for less money than Sammy Watkins, yes. who signed with the Chiefs, uh, or agreed to sign with the Chiefs, is making more money, which is a little surprising. I guess, I guess not too surprising because Allen Robinson hasn't proved it quite as much. But they're both injury risks. But yeah, this is the receiver that the Bears that were begging for all last year. Oh, I'm I'm loving it. We have a go-to guy. Trey Burton is he's last known. Year was just pitiful. It was awful. It was terrible, but Trey Burden, he's known as like a small recept, like a, a small workload receiving tight end. So now that he's going to have a little more of a workload and targets, hope the hope is that he he can. Honestly, all I want out of him is like a 600 yard, five touchdown season next year. That's a really good season for a tight end. Yes, but uh, especially because you threw seven touchdown passes all of last year, so but, five yeah, receptions. But, but Nagy's. Um, Offense is completely different than John Fox's offense. Yeah, I just think it's hard to assume five touchdowns out of any of them. Oh. When Trubisky barely threw five last year. It's going to be uh, a whole new uh, Trubisky. And then Taylor Gabriel is a speedster, so he's just the, the deep threat. And then who knows where they're going in the draft. So very yeah, exciting also, right now to be a Bears fan. I also <clears> see the Bears uh, look to be bringing back Prince of Mukamura. So, yes. Uh, the Bears are the Bears are making some moves, or w- might be winning this offseason right now, fighting with the Browns. As the Browns made some crazy moves, we can mention that real quick. They brought in Tyrod Taylor as a quarterback. They brought in um, who else? Did they bring in? You, oh, you're asking me. They, yeah. they they brought in Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry, yes. So they're they're making big moves, <clears> big <throat> splashes. Uh, Kirk Cousins agrees. Or not quite agrees, but it's pretty much set in stone that he's going to the Vikings. At the time of this recording. Yes, at the time of this recording, everyone's saying he's going to sign with the Vikings. And where did the Vikings quarterbacks go? Well, I'll tell you where they went. Okay. Podcast listener. Uh, Case Keenum's going to Denver. Sam Bradford going to Arizona. And Teddy Bridgewater is going to the Jets. Kind of interesting. Madness. all, All three quarterbacks now have a shot at a job. Uh, Sammy Biscuits, though, in Arizona has got a little competition. I'm seeing Arizona is going to sign Mike Glennon to a contract. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he's got to play somewhere, you know. If I'm a if I'm a Cardinals fan, I would be so pissed right now. <laughs> yeah, we, got, we ended up with uh, Bradford and Glennon out of this. Yeah. But, Jesus uh, yeah, Christ. so a lot of quarterback shakeup. We'll see where all of the dust lands. We still don't know where Jordy's going to go. I know he's going to end up with the damn Patriots. He's going to be amazing. But, uh... There's, yeah, there's a lot of top free agents out there still. Uh, and Dominican Sue was released, so he's going somewhere. 
Yes. There's still plenty to be said on this uh, NFL free agency, but so far out of the moves made, what moves are you uh, most cautious of? Most What cautious. caught your eye? What caught your eye, Jake? Caught my eye? Well, I Other mean, than Bears and Packers moves. Other than Bears and Packers, the, so, I mean, the Jimmy Graham one really did catch my eye, but I'd say... Other than that. Be, yeah, you, I know. There's one rule. Yeah, I broke that one rule. I'd say how much the corners are signing for right now because the Packers need a corner badly, but uh, the two top ones have already signed. Tremaine Johnson is getting $15 million a year, and Malcolm Butler is getting almost $13 million a year, which is a lot of money for two corners who aren't – they're not top ten guys. They're just, they're just guys. They're good bodies. Just so, guys uh, being dudes. And the Packers are desperately need for a corner, so hopefully the market comes down a little bit on them. What caught your eye? Honestly, the Tyrod Taylor thing. Do the Browns pick somebody else than a quarterback in these uh, top two draft picks? Oh, they better fucking not. They better take a quarterback at one or four. If they don't, burn down the franchise. But if you're, so say you take like Saquon Barkley number one, and then you have all these offensive weapons. If you like a quarterback that's like, uh, what's that guy out of uh, OK State? I know, fuck, Mason like Rudolph. Mason Rudolph, yeah. Say, Ew. Which is such a Browns move that they would trade down, get Mason That'd Rudolph be, in like the in like the end of the first, and you just they keep, should lose their franchise. Then that franchise should be moved to another city. It should be given new owners. Everything they they have to take a quarterback. Um. So I'm I'm very curious to see how that how that shakes up. The draft. I think what I think it means is that they're going to take a more project quarterback. So not the one who's most Josh Allen is Josh Rosen, but Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield. People think those two need a little bit more time. You know, Josh Allen's got that rocket arm. He's tall. Shorts. He's tall. I've heard he's tall. He's got big hands. You know. DraftJoshAllen.com. Yeah, check out DraftJoshAllen.com if you want many more information but i could see the browns taking a more developmental guy and let tyrod play for a year but that was fast i love what the browns are doing i i'm gonna put money on it now the browns will win a game next year balls i'm saying it, I'm saying it now Ta- people. it takes a lot of balls to say that jake and i'm, yeah, I'm really going out on a limb on this one i'm proud to call you my uh, my co-host but Thank there's you. plenty of of nfl off season so we will keep you guys updated as that comes but I guess we can kick it over to our, not one, but two interviews. Our, yeah. So let's kick it off with our interview with, with Gus Kearns from the Screen the Screener podcast. Go listen to it if you like college basketball in any way. These guys know so much. They are gonna make, geniuses. They are going to make me so much money on this on this tournament. I am betting, uh, just a little preview, down with Xavier. They are going to lose in the first round to be the first number one uh, seed to ever lose. You heard it here. First. Put all your money on it. You heard it here first, unless you listen to Screen the Screener, then you heard it there first. But if yeah, you don't, your start now. We're going to go with Gus Kearns. After that, we're going Casey Johnson from the Chicago Tribune. Here we go. All right, everybody, we now welcome on a very special guest, the official first person to be on a second time. You are a um, official reoccurring guest, I guess. Uh, a regular. The, regular. You could say. Yeah, you are. You are one of our regulars, Gus Kearns from the Screen the Screener podcast. Welcome back, Gus. Woo! Yeah. Colton and Jake, 
Thank you for having me back a second time. So honored to chat with you gentlemen again. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for showing up. Um, a little a little behind the scenes for our, our listeners. Technology was not cooperating, so me as a person, it feels like a like a feat that we that we've even come this far. So appreciate what you have in life, people. <laughs> Great start. Well, nothing well, wrong with lifting the curtain a little bit for the audience. Exactly, exactly. But we are here to talk one thing and one thing only, and that is the madness of March Madness. Gus, it has did, officially begun. Yeah, Gus. Did, did you know that there was a um, NCAA basketball tournament coming up? Yeah, I, I got I got a little rumor. I got a little itch, you know, on the side of my head. I started itching, it, and then boom. 60, uh, you know, 68 teams came out, and here we are. Let's roll this thing. Let's roll with it. Um, so I guess we can just start hitting you with some questions. So um, my first question to you, Gus, is what what player do you think is going to carry their team to a, a Sweet 16 or Elite 8 appearance? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys a breakdown by bracket here. I'm gonna give That's you guys good. a player per bracket in the South bracket. I really think that Lonnie Walker from Miami could be a surprise. I know that everybody is on the Loyola-Chicago upset train here, but if you're going to go with the best player on the court in that particular game and the next game, whoever they face, Tennessee or Wright State, guess who has the best player on the floor? Still Lonnie Walker. I know Brown is out, but let's not deny and doubt on Larry Nega, who's taken a George Mason team the Final Four with much less talent than this Miami team has. So, how about Walker as a surprise in the South? In the West, it's got to be Michael Porter Jr. Right? I agree. If we're going to take a look at like, yeah, if we're going to take a look at the bracket and you're going to throw like an impact player that's going to be a top four, top five NBA draft pick this upcoming upcoming draft in June, like, let's pay attention to Missouri and let's pay attention to Michael Porter Jr. Is he going to be a little rusty? Maybe. But is he going to be exciting to watch and a definite tune-in? Without question. If we go around to the Midwest, here's a surprise for you, fellas. How about Zach Lofton from New Mexico State? Mm. How about mm. we have the Aggies? Aggies sneaking their way a little further than you think in the tournament, and for good reason. Zach Lofton has had a uh, Hamiltonian path to find his way to New Mexico State but he is an unbelievably gifted wing player and a scorer at all three levels. So I'm going to take Lofton from New Mexico State. And then in the East, I think it's pretty simple, and we've seen it before. It's a familiar script. I don't think there's any reason why we wouldn't pay attention to Chris Chiosa from Florida. All the dude does is step up in big spots and play a better against better point guards. That's all he does, and make big shots during big-time moments. So if you're ignoring Florida in the East bracket, I think it's a mistake. Big-time players make big-time plays. That's what we always say, and nobody else. Yeah, we, we patent that idea. Um, you've already mentioned uh, some mid-majors here, like our hometown Loyola, uh, which I know you already shot down my hopes and dreams there, but what are some other mid-majors you could see making some noise? You also mentioned New Mexico State. So who, who are some other ones? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll give you another breakdown by, uh, by reason here, if that's all right. Uh, that's in I had a couple, but I think because of the matchups and due to roster and health, um, I'm not feeling as strong about them. Obviously, in the South, I'm a big Nevada guy, uh, but their roster is definitely hampered by injury right now. Uh, Stevens is hurt. Uh, uh, Caleb Martin, is, is, is his foot is still bothering him. Jordan Caroline has a, a nagging injury. Um, I really like the talent. I really like their position as ba- positionless basketball 
approach. Um, so I think that would be a team to pay attention to. If they were healthy, I still think they can win a game or maybe two. But I think anything beyond that, I think their roster is limited. And also Buffalo. I was kind of in on Buffalo prior to the draw, but not against Arizona, right? That, that, that just seems like an impossible pass. Uh, how about down in the West? I don't know if I necessarily am going to pick them to win the game, but how about San Diego State? How about Coach Dutcher getting his act together, uh, getting his team invested, and riding the hot streak that they've had at the end of the year? They actually beat Nevada at the end of the year and were the winners of the Mountain West Tournament. So you want to see if that hot team and that, that hot ride can continue for them. So I think that's a mid-major to pay attention to. I'm not Again, I'm not necessarily picking them, but I think they're intriguing. Uh, in the Midwest, it's got to be College Charleston. They have three A players. They have three all-league players. They have Joe Chinley, who went from 16 for 16 from the free throw line in their conference finals in overtime and came back from a 17-point deficit in the second half. Uh, Grant Riller can fill it up from outside. And then they have Brantley, who's like their swing man who can bang around inside. And then the East guys, guess what? It's Power Six in Wichita. I don't think anybody's going to make any noise in the East. So I think that's kind of a boring bracket as far as mid-majors go. Yeah, you actually warned us about <clears throat> about Nevada preseason when we had you on last time. Um, another team that you warned us about was Xavier. They ended up getting a one seed. Who do you think is the worst one seed in this uh, in this year's bracket? Bingo, bango. As much as I like Xavier coming into the tournament, uh, coming in preseason, you know, I predict them for the Final Four preseason, I'm just going to champion my co-host on the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast, Mike Randall. Mike Randall is on the quest for the perfect bracket, and in his quest, he has selected Texas Southern, the 16-seed winner of the play-in game, to upset Xavier in the first round for the first ever 1-16 upset in tournament history. Yikes. So I think if we're going to go anywhere there, I'm just going to lean on my co-host and say, pay attention to Xavier. That is one, <laughs> All right. That is one of the ballsiest predictions I've ever heard, but I might put money on that. <laughs> It, 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 was, it was kind of amazing when we were doing our rundown, and I, I didn't have much of a retort uh, while we were talking about it. But um, he is on the quest, and he gave some logical rationale of why it could happen. And if you just look inside their bracket and you pay attention to Ken Palm numbers, um, they are actually the fourth-rated team in their own bracket via Ken Palm. Uh, North Carolina is rated number seven. Michigan is rated number ten. Gonzaga is rated number eight. And Ohio State is right behind Xavier. Ohio State is 15, and Xavier is 14 if you're going to go by the metrics. So I think the metrics also help tell the story there as well. All right. Um, so are we cursed to another year of watching Kentucky make a, lo- a deep run here? Uh, they, I know they have a tough, uh, definitely have a really tough uh, road to get there, but they seem to be getting hot at the right time. What, what do you see them doing? Interesting question. Great question, actually. Great question. Because man. they are one of the more. Yeah, a great question, because I think they might be getting ignored due to the pod that they're in in the South bracket. you got the one seed, UVA, playing historic level, level defense uh, this particular season, better than any defense that has been played in po- possibly the past eight to ten years in college basketball. You have uh, possibly the number one uh, draft pick in the NBA draft in June uh, in DeAndre Ayton. And, uh, you know, down on the bottom, you just have, like, a, another great defensive team in Cincinnati. But... Let's just call it what it is, right, guys? If Kentucky and Arizona get through their first-round games, guess what's going to happen? That game is going to be a coin flip point spread-wise. Maybe it's Arizona by a point, maybe by uh, you know 1.5, but 
But that's it. And Kentucky is actually more balanced than Arizona on the defensive and offensive end. If you're going to take a look at the metrics one more time, Kentucky is one of the few teams in the nation that has a defensive efficiency number in the top 25 and an offensive efficiency number in the top 25. There are a handful of teams, and Kentucky just happens to be one of those teams. And then you throw in the Hunter injuries to UVA, and that exposes UVA and takes away possibly their best athlete, who is an NBA, uh, who is an, uh, uh, an NBA wing waiting to happen on UVA. So I think Kentucky, the window has kind of opened up a little bit with this, with this Hunter injury. And again, that game against Arizona is going to be a coin flip. Oh, it's going to be a great game. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, so I already oh, mentioned – oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, without question, if we get that game going – to get to the Sweet 16, like that's arguably a Elite Eight game to get to the Final Four. That, that we're getting spoiled there. Very spoiled. Um, I already mentioned a little on me putting money into the tournament and probably not getting it back. But if there was a team that I could sneakily put a little money or a little money down that they reached the the Final Four, what what team can sneak um, under the like under the radar? I guess is what I'm trying to say, and help me make some money. I, don't, I, I haven't taken a look at the adjusted odds, but I think Arizona as a four seed, I think, is a legit look. Here's why. I know we just talked about the Kentucky and Arizona game, but if you take the Hunter injury into effect, what is UVA going to do with a monster big like uh, like DeAndre Ayton? Are they really going to stick Jack Salt on him and let him go one-on-one? That seems like a recipe for disaster. And then if you go down to the bottom of the bracket, it, are Tennessee, Miami, Cincinnati, Nevada, are they going to be equipped to deal with Aiton, and don't forget Ristic. Ristic is a quality big who's probably going to get a cup of coffee in the NBA, and we're kind of it. He gets he's like playing second banana and maybe backup power forward to them. So the fact that they're bringing two bigs to the party is the exact recipe that both UNC and Gonzaga played last season to get to the finals. If you remember, they had Meeks and Kennedy, and they also had Tony Bradley. Uh, Gonzaga brought out uh, Big Shem. They brought uh, a lottery pick Zach Collins. Uh, Tilly and Jonathan Williams. So the fact that Arizona could run out two high-quality bigs, I think that shouldn't be ignored and throw in the talent that they have on the wing, which Dreyer and and, um, and uh, um, um, Raleigh Hawkins and, and, P, uh, and, and PJC is a quality point guard who's going to take care of the ball and knows his role. So I think if you're going to look at like a, you know, under a three-seed, I think Arizona is worth taking a look at, especially with the Hunter injury to you. Will do. All right, so this uh, bracket has been one of the most heavily scrutinized. Um, what do you think happened where teams like USC, St. Mary's, and Oklahoma State were left out when they seemingly had better seasons than teams like Oklahoma and Syracuse? Okay, this is an interesting question that has a lot of layers. I'll try to hit all of them. Uh, let's deal with uh, USC first. Uh, USC, I think, lacked that high-quality signature hang-your-hat-on-it win. Uh, they did have nice wins against Miami and New Mexico State, uh, and they did have a couple of nice road wins in the Pac-12. However, they didn't garner that, like, aha, that win tells me they belong type win. They got spoiled a little bit last year in the strong Pac-12, where Oregon was really strong and UCLA was really strong, and they were able to garner a couple of wins uh, uh, along with Arizona. So that, that, that put them in the mix. But I don't know if USC really had, like, that, like, wow, that win really tells me that they're in. Uh, St. Mary's, guess what? They don't play anybody. That's the problem. They had opportunities and were asked by other mid-majors 
to play a home and home, or they would come out to St. Mary's, uh, to Morvana to, to, to go ahead and get a game, and they've denied all of those requests. Um, so even Grand Canyon, like Grand Canyon had a home and home with them, where Grand Canyon went to St. Mary's last year, and St. Mary's was supposed to go to Grand Canyon this year, and St. Mary's bought out of that game, so they didn't have to travel to Grand Canyon to play that game on the road. So St. Mary's deal, they don't play anybody. They got a message from the tournament. Uh, from the tournament committee saying, go out and schedule better. Syracuse, I don't know. Like, I think it's got to deal with the devil. I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, I, they don't pass the eye test to me. I know that they had some quality wins in conference. Um, they, you know, they, they did lose to St. Bonnie's. I don't think they did anything crazy out of conference. So there was nothing. They, I feel like they were in the same boat as USC, so I don't know how they snuck in. And then he's going to mention Oklahoma State. That might be one of the head scratchers. Because if you're going to put Oklahoma State in with their two big wins over Kansas, I get that. But then, if you put Oklahoma State in, what do you do with Baylor? Because Baylor beat Oklahoma State head-to-head twice in the Big 12. So I think they ran into a dilemma there with those two Big 12 teams, and they just decided to leave them both out. So that's where I think they were, their heads were with that. All right. It's time to get really serious with these questions. Um, on a scale from 9 to 10, how likely is it that Grayson Allen cries if Duke loses in this tournament? Oh my goodness! That's a nine point seven. Are you kidding me? That's pretty high. I mean, I think it's going to take the Adam Morrison, uh, you know, Adam Morrison moment to a whole nother level. Yeah, I can sloppy cry. It's going to be a real sloppy cry. It's going to be disgusting. I can already picture he's going to be sitting there. They're going to have it right on his face. He's going to be sniffling. He'll he'll take his jersey and he'll like go to his nose. And when he comes comes away from his nose, it's going to be a long string of mucus, and then he'll he'll drop in the draft because of it. That's a <laughs> drop in the draft. I, I, I like that part of the scouting report. Yes. Uh, poor mucus membrane from Grayson Allen. If I was a, uh, a um, NBA draft expert, that's that's probably the third thing I would look at. You know what? I bet it's part of the equation, and I bet it's part of one of the metrics that they have. I wouldn't be surprised. Exactly, yeah. With all these advanced basketball stats, who knows what they look at anymore. Alright, so this tournament's about to get underway. What's your favorite round one matchup? What can we look to in the first couple days? And uh, where are you? Where are your eyes? What game are you watching? Okay, I'll do the same thing that I did with the previous questions. I'll give you a game for a bracket here. Um, I think the first game you have to pay attention to in the South bracket is the Creighton-Kansas State game. Uh, If you remember, uh, uh, Marcus Foster was a star in an all- a uh, Big 12-type performer at Kansas State, and they kind of pushed him out the door, and he found his way to Creighton and has found a home at Creighton. So this is kind of like the Marcus Foster get-back game. So I think you want to pay attention to that game and see if he plays with a chip on his shoulder or if he just tries to play within the offense and help his team for a win. But I think that dynamic and that storyline is worth paying attention to. If you go down to the West bracket, I think it has to be Ohio State and South Dakota State. Why wouldn't you want to watch the Cade Bates Diop Mike Dow matchup? That is sick. That's two future NBA players going head to head, playing the same position. They might be guarding each other for a large amount of the game. That's really cool. And plus, it's going to be a trendy upset pick. So I think that's worth paying attention to. And plus, South Dakota State's got some got some players. It's not just a one trick pony here. They got David Jenkins, a freshman who can put it up from the outside. It's playing really well lately. And they got their lifer, their vet, retelling Houston does a little bit of everything for them and is invested in the program, so I think that's a game worth paying attention to as well. If you're going to pay attention on the other side, I like the Auburn College and Charleston game. I think Auburn is a little bit outkicked their coverage all year. I think the College of Charleston is coming in hot. I think they're playing with house money, and I think they actually match up pretty well if Auburn was going to look in the mirror 
You know what they're going to see? They're going to see a roster very similar to themselves in the College of Charleston. And if you go up to the east, I think it's pretty simple. I think if you pay attention to the Florida and winner of St. Bonnie's in UCLA, I think the point guard matchup there, and we mentioned Chioza before, it's fascinating. And in that little pod itself, you have Chioza, you got Jalen Adams, you got Holiday, and then if you got, you know, if everything falls according to plan, you got Keenan Evans waiting for whoever's coming next. Those four point guards are arguably four of the top ten point guards in this entire tournament, and they're all going to play each other within 48 hours. Totally awesome. I love that situation in the team. Um, so out of, out of every team that made the field this year, who do you think is the most overrated? Uh, you, you already mentioned Xavier. Um, if they are the most overrated, then who is the next most overrated? And, and I, don't think, I don't think Xavier is necessarily overrated. I mean, their, their resume says they should be a one-seed or a two-seed. Let's not, let's not deny that. And they, they, have, they have played everybody pretty close. You have so I don't know 16. if they're necessarily over. <laughs> well, yeah, talk to my partner about that. Talk to my uh, co-host. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm in the same boat as Boat as him there. Um, but I think if we're going to go for one of the most overrated teams or maybe the team that's outkicked coverage uh, or maybe a team that might, you know, slip up, how about we mentioned Auburn before, and how about also Wichita State? Wichita State has this reputation for being a really stout defensive team. And if you look at the metrics and you look at their numbers, um, traditionally they've been a top 25 uh, offen- uh, defensive efficiency team according to via Ken Palm. Uh, much like we mentioned with Kentucky earlier in the conversation. But this year, Wichita State is nowhere near that number. In fact, they're almost double or triple that number, and they're over triple digits as far as defensive efficiency goes, according to Ken Palm. So I think they're going to get a little bit exposed early on. I could see them kind of getting in a shootout with Marshall, and if I were you, I'd pay attention to the over in that game. And again, I think if you're looking at Auburn, uh, Auburn had an amazing season, unbelievable season, co-champs in the conference, absolutely uh, overachieved all year, especially with losing two of their best players uh, via suspension slash holdout due to the correlation with the FBI investigation. Bruce Pearl is an excellent coach, and he showed why this season, and maybe this is where it finally catches up to them, and they take a deep breath, and they sigh and boom, they get upset in the first round. So I'd say Auburn and Wichita State. Uh, see, it's, I'm really getting a knife to the heart here on the uh, local 815 teams with you already shot down Loyola, and Wichita State is a local favorite because Fred Van Fleet's an 815 guy, and he sort of built that. Ah, uh, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't, oh, know he, I didn't know where he originated from. My bad. <laughs> Just right through the heart. All right, well, that's Gus, everybody. Bye. <laughs> No, we, we still got to get the Sorry, final fellas, four. My bad. Champion out. Oh, good. So, uh, what do you got, Gus? Who's your final four, and who do you got winning it? Okay, so we'll just break it down this way. Uh, I, I had, um, you know, we'll go counterclockwise in the in the bracket again. So we'll start over on the left hand side in the south. Uh, I think originally, before the Hunter injury, I was seriously considering UVA, uh, much like uh, Gonzaga made it to the final four for the first time last year. I felt like this might be the team for UVA to break through to the Final Four and make that happen. But due to that injury, I'm going to I'm gonna hit the eraser, go old-school pencil, kind of like we were talking to pre-podcast. Um, and I'm going to erase UVA, and I'm going to put in Arizona. I think Aiton is that much of a difference maker. I think that Sean Miller has kind of, I don't know, like unified and fortified his team because of his uh, clairvoyant, 
statement of like, I'm denying everything and let's make this right for Arizona. So I kind of think they have a me against the world or us against the world mentality. And I think Sean Miller, that's right in his wheelhouse as far as a coach goes. So give me Arizona. Down in the West, I think I think Gonzaga's going to do it again. Ooh. I think Killian Silly and Rui Hachimura are going to be big difference makers that nobody is going to know what to do with. And I think Tilly's going to hit a couple bombs from the outside, just like he did in the uh, WCC conference a tournament. And I think Rui Hachimura is going to have one of those blow-up games where he goes for 25-plus, and just the other team just has nothing to, has no idea what to do with him. And I, I equate him to a smaller, less long, like Antetokounmpo, uh, Giannis from the Bucks because he just has like this unique talent to take the ball on a defensive rebound, take five dribbles, and then boom, he's at the rim. He's unbelievably unique on the college landscape. Hopefully he stays and, and, and firms up his game just like most Gonzaga players do. Uh, Zach Collins aside and comes back another year. So I'm going to take Gonzaga in uh, the West. In the Midwest, I like Michigan State. I like Michigan State all year. They just have too much talent. They're too deep. Uh, I think very similar to the Arizona mindset. Uh, they fortified their team and have an us-against-the-world mentality with all of the accumulated extra static that's happening uh, in the program and amongst the university. Uh, so give me Michigan State. And you know what? We're going to go. We're gonna double up on the Big Ten. Give me Purdue. I think Purdue is going to upset Villanova. And give me Purdue in the Final Four. And then uh, how about an Arizona-Michigan State final with Michigan State cutting down the net? I want to tell you, Gus, that is exactly the same championship I had. So I clearly learned a lot nice. since our first round of this. So I am now an expert of college basketball. Thank you. I think people are listening and paying attention. I think, you know, if they, if they can look at your bracket, uh, listening to this particular podcast, I, I think people are doing the right thing. Gus, the first time we had you on, you, you actually had Purdue and Michigan State preseason in your Final Four. This is correct. Now, it hurt me to knock Xavier out, but if you're going to have the two teams that played for the national championship in your own bracket uh, with Gonzaga and UNC, I think that's too tough of a road. So as much as I wanted to push Xavier through, I couldn't do it. Well, it's it seems like you might know what you're talking about. So um, there you have it, folks. Michigan State is officially the uh, 2018 national champion. So congratulations to them and to Gus <laughs> for his uh, perfect bracket this season. <laughs> Listen, I, I am not on the quest for the perfect bracket. I'm just on the quest to uh, hopefully get as many games as right as I can. Uh, again, if you're looking for the quest of the perfect bracket, please hit up the Screen to Screen or College Basketball podcast. My my co-host Mike is literally on a quest for the perfect bracket. He released his uh, this week, so hit that up if you're looking for another uh, you know bracket information type podcast. Please do. And uh, I just want to say thanks, Jake Colton. Thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. Uh, cool getting to hang out with you guys. Uh, and uh, th- you know, thank you for uh, you know asking me uh, what we think about the uh, the game that we love, and I hope everybody you know up there in the eight one five enjoys March Madness. Cheers! Thank you so oh. much, Gus. Uh, you take it easy, bud. All right, thank you, fellas, again. Much much appreciated. Have a good one. Thank you, time. Gus. We now welcome on a very special guest, Chicago Bulls reporter for the Chicago Tribune, Casey Johnson. Casey, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Um, well, you've been uh, covering the Bulls since, what, 2000, right? 
Yeah, I was around for that uh, second three-peat. Uh, I wasn't the lead writer back then, but I was around uh, for those three seasons as kind of a, a supplementary sidebar kind of guy, and then uh, been full-time covering the Bulls uh, since 2000. Beautiful. Yeah, not a bad way to start off your um, your coverage, I guess. You know, pre- makes the job pretty easy. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> that was definitely a fun team to be around, and obviously a lot earlier in my career, so... Uh, fun to kind of start finding my way uh, being around one of the most famous sports teams of all time, no doubt. Well, the current Chicago Bulls are not um, as um, successful, I guess you can say. Uh, what What are your thoughts on the current Bulls uh, tanking this season? Or or do you think they're just losing games and not even trying to tank? Well, I mean, I think they've handled that whole tanking situation very well. I mean, look, we everyone knew when they traded Jimmy Butler, they were going to go into a rebuilding situation. They've been very transparent about that. Um, you know, they've steered clear of any kind of talk of tanking. They obviously played uh, extremely well in December. They're actually one of the best teams in the NBA uh, in December when uh, Colin Miritich first came back and Chris Dunn and Lowry Markkinen were both playing very well along with David Nawaba. So, um, you know, I think they've handled this, the, the season as far as what they're trying to do very transparently and uh, very well. Uh, clearly, they've made a decision post-All-Star break by removing Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday as starters to evaluate their young players more thoroughly. And, you know, if obviously if some losses pile up along the way, I don't think anybody would uh, be incredibly upset over that. But look, they're uh, they're eighth right now as far as league worst record, and uh, from my perspective, they've played too well, particularly in that month of December, to to uh, to enter that top three of the draft unless they get really lucky in the uh, in the NBA draft lottery. You bring up Lopez and Holiday um, after the NBA gave, I guess, the Bulls a warning, and now that um, it seems like Holiday and Lopez are getting more playing time in the future, do you think that is enough to? get the Bulls back to their winning ways like they were in that in that one hot month, or do you think they'll continue to struggle? Well, I mean, there was no official warning. They were having a dialogue with the league office over the situation because what, you know, a little bit lost in this is that, you know, when the Bulls made the decision to remove Lopez and Holiday as starters, um, they offered them minor reserve roles, and both those players declined them. Um, you know, rightfully so. They would be playing very minimal minutes and, you know, while they're very much team first guys, they they played very well as starters, and I think you know that would affect their statistics. And also, they understood that the the, the team wanted to uh, to evaluate some young players, and so they they took a a back seat, and and that obviously started a dialogue with the league office. So as far as what now that they're back playing, what that will do, I mean, you saw it in, in Holiday's first game back. They're not going to be playing a lot. Um, how they did start, but he only took rotational turns in the first and third quarter and only played 17 minutes. Now, he played extremely well uh, in those 17 minutes, made all five of his shots, four of them three-pointers. So um, that certainly helped the Bulls winning, and I would assume that Robin Lopez will be on a similar rotational turn uh, Friday night in Detroit when he returns to the lineup. Um, but it's clear the Bulls are still going to be playing their, their young players like Cristiano Felipe you know, and, and David Nawaba and, and players like that more extensively than, than Holiday and Lopez down the stretch. But look, Bulls have a very easy schedule down the stretch. They play uh, five teams 
still in their last 18 games with worse records than than what the Bulls have. So, like I said before, I'd, I'd be I, it's hard pressed for me to see a scenario in which they you know move very aggressively to the top of the of the draft lottery without some ping pong ball luck in May. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. But we can we can move towards the uh, the baby bulls of this team. Do you think Laurie Markkinen is going to be the face of the team moving forward, or do you think um, that the face of the team lies in the, in this new upcoming draft with all these uh, with all these young talents coming up that everybody thinks can change a franchise? Well, I mean, you also kind of forget Zach Levine and Chris Dunn, and I mean, you know, the face of the team stuff. I mean, that's kind of more media driven. You know, I mean, um, you do need to establish some kind of pecking order, surely at some point, but. Look, the team is the first season of a rebuild. They're very young. All three of those players are still finding their way. That stuff will kind of naturally sort itself out. Um, but you need all three of those players to reach their ceiling if you're going to become a championship contender again. And then even with that, I do think you still need to add another impact player, whether that's via the draft or free agency at some point. So, um, you know, management's been very vocal about knowing that while they're pleased with how well Levine, Dunn, and Markkinen have played, that they still have a long way to go in terms of returning to championship contention. So um, you're going to need those two players to, to continue growing and figuring things out as far as playing well together, which they really have not done much of uh, other before last night uh, or the Wednesday night victory over uh, the Grizzlies. That was the first time all three of those players scored over 20 points same game so um but as far as like the face of the franchise that to me is more of a media story i mean yeah uh they will have to figure out crunch time stuff and and who's got you know recognizing the hot hand and stuff like that sure that's part of the uh evolution of a of a young rebuilding team but um all three of those guys respect each other they get along they uh recognize that they're kind of a future core uh, that is being counted on to return this, this franchise to prominence, and uh, they're going to try to put the work in to, to achieve that. Yeah, the damn media, man, who needs them? Just just <laughs> trying to cause controversy wherever they can, right? Well, uh, th- that's part of our gig, and uh, luckily uh, people read us, so it's all we have jobs, so uh, yes, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's part of the gig. You bring up um, Zach Levine, he's a, he's a free agent in the offseason, right? He's a restricted free agent, not an unrestricted free agent. So what kind of money would a Zach Levine-type player get coming off the injury that he did? Well, I think his negotiations actually will be quite fascinating. I mean, the Bulls clearly did not trade Jimmy Butler to let Zach Levine walk, but um, you do bring up a good point in that he's coming off of a serious injury. Now he's obviously looked very athletic and uh, and you know, healthy since returning in mid-January from his rehab. Um, and, you know, he, as a young player who was breaking out last year with Minnesota before the ACL tear, was, you know, probably buying a maximum contract. That's kind of the status of, of the league these days, who, who be, who's a max player. And, and young players, you know, obviously eyeball that and know who, who they are around the league and, and strive towards that. So, I certainly expect his camp and his representatives to speak, uh, if not a max contract, certainly something close to it. Um, again, I, the Bulls absolutely did not trade Jimmy Butler with 
with the intention of letting Zach Levine walk. Um, so I do think they'll probably try to negotiate, um, you know, with the injury in mind and maybe try to save some money. Um, but negotiations have some conflict there in them, and then they ultimately usually find a common ground. And worst-case scenario, Zach Levine goes out and gets an offer sheet and the Bulls match it. Um, I personally think, you know, one scenario you might see is a shorter-term deal at max money that probably gives both sides what they're looking for, a little bit of, you know, uh, security for the Bulls in terms of number of years committed to a guy coming off of uh, ACL. And um, it also gives Zach the stature of being paid handsomely in terms of an annual salary. But that's just speculation on my part. I mean, it's not a situation where I decided to go negotiation yet, but it's certainly going to be an intriguing storyline to follow this summer, no doubt. With all of the uh, young players figuring out how they work together and just figuring out the future in general, how do you think Fred Hoiberg has done so far in his uh, tenure? And do you think he's the coach at the other end of this rebuild? Well, those are two super questions, obviously. Um, as far as the first one, you know, you don't really need my opinion. I mean, John Paxton has been very public support of Fred Hoiberg and talking about how, uh, from his estimation, Fred Hoiberg has kind of found his footing with this young team and displayed more confidence as an NBA head coach uh, than those maybe in those first two seasons where he did have some bumps with, you know, uh, headstrong and, and veteran players. Uh, I also think you can't overlook the fact this is the first time from from my vantage point that the personnel uh, more fits how Fred likes to play offensively. I mean, they hired Fred as an offensive guru, you know, a pace and space type philosophy uh, coach and then saddled him with uh, isolation heavy team in 2015-16 and then to me exacerbated that situation further by not only having an isolation team in 16-17 but a three-point challenge team uh, by signing Wade and Rondo uh, on top of Jimmy Butler so you know this clearly is a team that whose personnel fits more how Fred wants to play and then obviously a young team I think he got a little bit more uh, emboldened in terms of his uh, approach as, as far as coaching, and they played hard. So John Paxson has been very effusive in his praise for Fred Hoiberg. It's for the latter question. I, I don't like speculation. I mean, I certainly a guess on my part. I mean, he's finishing year three of a five-year deal this season. Um, who knows what? what he'll, you know, he'll almost you know ninety-nine point nine percent for sure be the coach of the start of next season. So. How they play next season will determine more fully uh, the answer to your second question. Yeah, looking forward to the future. Um, we've already sort of uh, touched on the draft, but do you think there's there are any players in the draft that could help the Bulls um, just do a, a 180 and then sort of look like a Sixers team in the, in the next year or two? Or do you think uh, the Bulls being in the 8 or 9 draft spot, they don't have the chance to have a player like that come their way? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty well documented that uh, most scouts and personnel, uh, player personnel types uh, have projected the top four or five players to be potentially franchise-altering type talents. I mean, obviously, a lot has to go right for that to happen, but, you know, it's, it's, that's pretty the, the wide consensus that, you know, it, the franchise type altering talents kind of dry up after pick four, pick five. So unless the Bulls move up in the draft lottery, 
I think they're out of reach, you know, from the Aitons and the Bagleys and the Doncic types. Um, you can certainly get a, a very strong player at, at taking the top 10, and it's on the Bulls to make to hit on these draft picks because when you enter a full rebuild and base your rebuild not only on the three players you acquired in the trade, but also uh, draft picks, you, you've got to you got to basically hit on every one of them. Um, so there's going to be a lot of pressure on this pick. I think you can get a good player there, but uh, scouts also kind of talk about this draft falling off after you know pick ten, pick eleven in terms of at all impact type players. So you know there is value in the draft. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is obviously a perfect example of that. He's a rookie of the year candidate being picked out of the, outside the top ten last year. Uh, Kuzma would be another one. Um, the Bulls have hit obviously historically on, on value picks and Taj Gibson and Butler. Giannis is a, a top 15 pick, so it, it does happen, but uh, this is probably the wrong year to uh, to fall outside the top four or five because uh, that's where everybody says the, the franchise-type talents are, so it, it may need a little bit of draft lottery or luck for that to happen for the Bulls. If the Bulls don't hit on any um, franchise-changing player in the draft, do you think there's a chance that the, that, um, the Bulls have – an opportunity to sign a franchise-changing uh, free agent in the upcoming offseason. I'd be surprised that happened this summer. I mean, I, I mean, clearly you're not doing your job if you don't, you know, make a phone call to LeBron James camp. Um, yeah, you know, the Bulls had that opportunity in 2010 and came close to it, but it didn't happen. So obviously, most speculation has LeBron either resigning with Cleveland or, or heading west. Um, but you certainly have to at least make that phone call and check the temperature on that. But I don't, you, one thing you've heard management consistently talk about is showing patience this rebuild. So they are going to project to have a lot of salary cap space this summer. Um, I don't think you, I don't think you hamstring hamstring yourself with long term deals unless you get you know a player of the stature of a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant. And I don't think anybody has. Those, either of those players peg towards the Bulls. So um, I think you'll see them kind of fill in the edges next season and uh, add two you know, first-round picks with their own pick and the pick they acquired in the Nikola Miritich trade from the Pelicans, which unfortunately from the Bulls' perspective uh, keeps slipping with the way the Pelicans are playing. But uh, I think you'll see them add those two picks and hope for growth from Don Levine and Markin and then fill in the edges with... Uh, no veteran, the right veteran type players, similar to guys like Lopez and, and Holiday. I don't, I don't see see them making a big splash to create see this summer. You bring up the Bulls missing out on the uh, LeBron sweepstakes last time. It seems like the Bulls have gone for free agents like LeBron. They're in the um, <clears throat> they're in the original Carmelo sweepstakes, but they always seem to fall short. Do you think there's a reason, or do you think those players just found better fits um, elsewhere? I mean. You know, Carmelo and his camp have come out and said that, you know, in retrospect, they, they had some second thoughts about not signing with the Bulls. It, it, it's a, it's a, certainly a valid debate. I mean, you can see both sides of the argument. There's the historical, um, you know, people or Taylor or whatever you want to call it that people didn't want to originally live in Michael Jordan's shadow, uh, you know, originally for why they weren't able to land big free agents. And that there's been some speculation around the league. Um, with uh, the franchise not being held in as high a regard in terms of operationally, um, 
But you know, ultimately, I think players obviously pick what's best for them, both both financially and personally. And you know, the LeBron situation in 2010, it was closer than people realized. The Bulls were trying to trade Luol Deng to the Clippers to get the same big three that ended up in Miami. Um, they weren't able to do it, so you know, it, it, they, that big three signed with the Heat, and the rest is history. The Carmelo thing was neck and neck. Uh, Bulls felt very good about their presentation, but you know, Carmelo was on record as saying that his wife was very happy in New York, and, and he was very happy in New York, so he, he opted to stay stay where he was. Um, you know, you got to ask players that ultimately, but um, I can just give you my speculation as to both sides of, of the of the story. So all that being said, um, how many years until the Bulls window opens up again for them to uh, start contending? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really bad at speculative questions. I know that's kind of the way of the world these days. I, I, I'm just not good at that. I'm, I'm, I'm more of an observational and contextual uh, beat writer. Um, I, have, I have no idea. I mean, God forbid one of those three players suffers a, a, a severe injury next season. I mean, you have no way of knowing that stuff. Um, what I will say is that you obviously need Dunn, Markkanen, and Levine to really, really be good. <laughs> I mean, that's those are your three best players now, and they've shown flashes this year of, of playing playing well more separately than together. So, I'd, obviously, I think that's a that's a big thing. Is you got to get those three guys playing together. Uh, better, and that's why I think you know the, the stretch run. People say there's not much left to play for. I think there's a lot to play for. You got to get those guys up and running, playing well together, so they can take some confidence and chemistry into the off season. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, that you still need to add a fourth um, impact type talent. I, I don't. I personally don't see Markinen, Dunn, or Levine as you know your alpha dog. One A player or one player, number one player on a championship team. I could be wrong. I, you know, go you know, Levine, Dunn, or Markin and put in the work and uh, reach the ceiling that you know that they do. And, and I'm wrong. Then credit to them. I've seen guys transform themselves past expectations firsthand. Like Jimmy Butler, who obviously didn't lead the Bulls to a championship, but arguably is a top you know 10, 12, 14 type player in the league, and no one would have predicted that. So, um, you know, I, I, there's a lot that needs to go right for the Bulls, but as far as when they get there, I, I wouldn't even begin to guess. So, yeah, so we can now focus on you and your career. Um, since you have been covering the Bulls for so long, what has been the best part about your job and what has been the worst part about your job? Well, I hope I don't bore people to death talking about myself because I don't usually like to do that. But since you asked, uh, the best part of the job is clearly the relationships. Uh, it's why, you know, doing this as long as I have, people say, do you ever get sick of it? And to me, the answer is always no, because the, the, the faces and the players and the names and the coaches are always changing. So you're always trying to build new relationships. And, you know, the ones that, you uh, once you no longer cover them and you can kind of drop uh, the objectivity aspect to it and maybe get a little bit more of a personal relationship with the people and you take those with you through life with people maybe you view the, the world common through, through common lenses with uh, those, those are the things that I treasure and value it's the, the lifetime relationships I've, I've built with, with some of the people that I've been fortunate enough to cover um, 
worst part, uh, I don't love Twitter. I mean, it's not going back. Uh, it's the way of the world today. It's, it's a very useful tool, so I'm not criticizing it. I don't love the 24-7 deadline nature uh, aspect that it's uh, introduced to my business. But, again, it's I, I'm not complaining about it because it's, it's never going back, and it's, it's here to stay, and it's, a very useful tool in terms of disseminating information, but you know, it has made our world one of immediacy, and sometimes you don't stop to think or listen or place things in greater context, and uh, I think sometimes our ears are uh, robbed of some uh, value because of that, um, so that, those would be my answers. You say you uh, really cherish all the relationships that you've made when you first started back in the uh the second three-peat how terrifying was it to cover um uh dennis rodman when you're coming right out of college <laughs> well i wasn't coming out of college i was uh 30 years old when i got that break okay. uh so uh, or 28 years old i can't remember i was 96 so i was uh I don't know, 28, 29. So I, I've been at the Tribune already for about six years. I just wasn't covering the NBA. Um, but uh, terrifying is the wrong word. Interesting would be the right word. I didn't. I wasn't that close with Dennis. I didn't. You know, I just dealt with him in group situations. I developed some relationships with some of the uh, perimeter, periphery type players like Kerr and Bill Wennington and Judd Bushler and and. Uh, Randy Brown and, and guys like that, uh, Bill Robbie Edges. Uh, I was lucky enough in the 1998 finals to be assigned to write about Michael Jordan every day. I didn't even really cover the Bulls. I just covered Michael Jordan on a daily basis, which was very, very fun for a young journalist. Um, so uh, it was obviously a fascinating team to, uh, to be around. I will say Dennis had a, two unique uh Traditions. One was he would rarely shower after games. Oh, he would shower before. He would shower before games and then not shower after games. And he also had uh, a tradition um, where he would not hold. He would not address reporters in the locker room. He would leave the locker room and talk to reporters as he walked down the hallway to his car. Uh, he, in his mind, created more of a like MTV type style press conference and you'd be walking with a herd of uh, reporters and also cameramen trying not to trip over camera cords and cables. We used to call it the walk of shame. Uh, but I was on the walk of shame detail many times covering Dennis Robin. Yeah, I bet it was uh, very interesting, very easy to to, to uh, find something to write about with those old uh, Bulls teams. Yeah, there was just a little bit to write about. Like I said before, if you're writing uh, sidebars about Randy Brown and uh, Judd Bushler, and it's interesting if that tells you how popular that team was. <laughs> well, Casey, um, that is all I have for you. Do you have any questions for me? Uh, no, but thank you for having me on. I appreciate our chat. Of course, yeah, this was a good time. So we'll definitely have, have you on in the future, and I really appreciate you coming on this time. Okay, thanks again. All right, thank you again, Casey. There they are. That was, that was something, wasn't it? That was something. Thank you again to Gus Kearns from Screen the Screener Podcast. Give him a listen. Big thank you to Casey Johnson from the Chicago Tribune. Um, a lot I get, of basketball there. A lot of um, basketball. little tidbit, if any of you, any of our listeners, want to compete in a little bracket tournament 
We have some people in it. It's called Live from the 815. It is a group you know, on ESPN. On ESPN. You just, yeah, the ESPN Tournament Challenge app. I'm assuming everyone has it. And uh, if you're filling out a bracket, just search for Live from the 815. Throw one of your uh, brackets in there and see how it does. You're going against us, possibly even Gus. Yes. Some other people. We're going to have lots of people. So The winner gets a free Live from the 815 t-shirt. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guarantee that the winner gets to listen to the next podcast for free on their own. Yes. Wow. So this is huge. Uh, go to Live Nate One Five on ESPN. Join our group. Big thank you to our two interviews. Before we end this, I have to get on my knees and start sucking some tiger uh, penis. Oh, uh, we we gotta hear that tiger love. Let's hear it. Oh my God! Holy shit! Tiger is back. And I'm in 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 the most unbiased way possible that I could possibly say this. He's back to being the greatest golfer on the planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> you, you seem really modest about it. Oh my God, Jake! You don't know how excited I was. I was sitting in my room. For those of you who don't know, Tiger Woods is a, a professional golfer. He was very good for a very long time. He gets hurt, falls from the graces for like seven years. He hasn't done anything. He, he's just been getting hurt. He couldn't walk, and now he's back. And he made a second-place finish look like it was the greatest story ever told. <laughs> and um, the fact that he is back and just, like, the trickle-down effect that it, it's having on ESPN, on Twitter, on everything that covers sports is talking about golf again because Tiger Woods got a second-place finish at a tournament called the Valspar Championship. Nobody gives a shit I, about that tournament. I thought I heard the ratings were up 600% from last year. They were incredible. But, I mean, it was the Valspar tournament, so nobody cared about it last year. And then Tiger Woods. This tournament has had a really good field for, like, five straight years. They have top five nobody players. Nobody cares about anything Ex- until Exactly. Tiger that's exactly my point, is that he <laughs> moves. I saw a thing on Twitter. I've heard some podcasts. Tiger doesn't move the needle. He is the needle when it comes to uh, golf. I also saw another tweet from a fellow PGA in Ian. His name is Ben Crane. He said, Tiger Woods... Uh, during his prime, made kids quit other sports like baseball, football, basketball to play golf, and now he's literally playing those kids. <laughs> he's made mistakes. Isn't that wild? That is crazy. If you change the game so much that later in your career you play against people who quit other sports to be like you, and they are the ones that you're competing with, you're one of the greatest athletes of all time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, he was easily one of the most influential. Uh, I mean, he's the number one golfer of all time, period. End he, of story. He's done more for golf than I, the, the a-hole who invented it. Don't he, know his name. Uh, Tom Morris. Name. Old Tom yeah, Morris. Tom Morris is a chump compared to Ty, Tiger Woods. So. Yeah, Tiger Woods had his own Gatorade, folks. Do you understand that that never happens? Yeah, and... It was he, delicious, by the way. He also cheated on his wife, and then she beat him with a golf club, and nobody ever talks about that anymore. And no, and then, cares. and then if you do talk about it to golf fans, they're just like, yeah, that's Tiger being Tiger, man. We need that Tiger back. You yeah, need the need adulterer back. God, I love him so much. He made a 44-foot putt on 17 to give him a chance to birdie on 18 to force a playoff. When he yeah. made that fucking putt on 17... My neighbors from, like, blocks away heard it. It was... Oh, I was going crazy in my room by myself, just screaming like I was literally giving birth. 
I was going crazy. Classic Tiger Woods. Moment. Tiger, I know you're listening. I love you so much. Good luck this week. <laughs> <laughs> He's playing at the Arnold Palmer. Please, please win a major. If he, if he wins a major, I'm going to cry almost as much as when the Cubs won the World Series. And for sure, wow. going to cry more than when my first kid's born. <laughs> well, yeah. But, I mean, that, that's a gift. Yeah. So. If I see Tiger win a major and I see the Cubs win a World Series, having a kid is going to be such pussy shit. It's going to be such a, a, a walk in the park. We, we, didn't, we didn't take... We didn't respect Tiger when we had him, so now we're just. Well, I was so like happy. thirteen. Yeah, I know, and even I know the world went crazy for him, but uh, we all just assumed he'd be around forever. So now that he's back, people are just so excited. Tiger, I want you to fucking win more, please, and I just want you in general. <laughs> I was gonna say you could end your statement right then. I want you, Tiger Woods, Eldrick. Oh, I love you. Well. Now that I'm all sweaty and a little a little turned on. Maybe a little sticky. Real sticky. <laughs> I need a towel or a sock at least. That concludes episode 37, a.k.a. the Metal World Peace episode that everyone has been dying to hear. <laughs> Can't wait for that Metal World Peace episode. I kept hearing that. Big thanks again to Gus Kearns. Big thanks to Casey Johnson. Give them some follows on Twitter at SDSPodcast at Casey Johnson. Follow us at BackupQB blog on Twitter, YouTube. We got some videos coming out. Facebook, give us a like. BackupQuarterback.org. Subscribe, rate, review, download. Share everything on every social media. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell anybody you want. Your neighbor. Yeah. Well, Jake. Your (laughs) neighbor. Well, Jake, final word. Final word. Ah, man. Um, I just started playing Fortnite. Uh, I know nobody's ever heard of that game, but I think it's going to be big. Electric. I have two final words. They're actually both sentences. I may even go a paragraph. One, to suck Tiger's dick a little more. Jordan Spieth is like 23 years old. Tiger Woods is 41 years old. Yes. Jordan Spieth has already missed more cuts than Tiger Woods has in his whole career. (laughs) That's pretty crazy. And, And Jordan Spieth has been a top five player for like 10 years. Not ten years, but still, he's 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 been very good for a very long time. He was, Tiger Woods is the Wayne Gretzky of golf. Yes, nobody understands how good Tiger was, like, and now you, you say the stats and they sound like no, that's stupid. That yes, make it sounds sense. made up. It sounds like a Wilt Chamberlain stat back yeah, when he was. Barry the, Bonds, Wayne Gretzky, Tiger Woods. Those three are maybe Wilt Chamberlain because his numbers are are laugh out loud funny. Yes, too. yeah, like averaging fifty in a year. But that's the all the major sports and golf. Those are the. Uh, those are the main guys. Those are the, the heads of the, I don't know, the kings of the castle. The Mount Rushmore? You could say that. Okay. My final word number two is um, I season three of Love is on Netflix. If you Have you never seen Love, Jake? No, I have not. Is, is Ari still next to you? She is. Ari, listen to me right now. You guys need to watch Love on Netflix. It is a romantic comedy series. Oh, and the second season. Yes, third yes. Season. The third season just came out, and I watched it in two days, and it is amazing. Ooh, I've been looking at that. I almost want to watch it. Well, it's it's getting my stamp of approval. That was my stamp. All right. You liked Paddington, right, Colton? Oh. I guess you could say that. I guess you could say we're <laughs> fans of like the best, I recommended it to this really mean lady in my office to watch with her grandkids, and I was, like, trying to make friends with her, you know? She shut 
What a okay. Fuck that. Fuck that mean lady you know in your what? office. Sorry. In the beginning, like the hunter. No, it's in the middle with Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman's. Uh, oh, the Jason trying to the kill dark Maddie. gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that old lady. Fuck you her hear, grandkids. You hear the story about Nicole Kidman taking her kids into the theater. Yeah, I think I told it on. Time? I think I told it on this very podcast. Oh well, there you go. I think I told you the story. All right, guys, that's that's episode thirty-seven. Big thanks to Ari for. For chiming in. Always great to hear you, but... Yeah, great classic. But, uh, keep it 100, please. Will do. Okay. Yeah.